Lord, we would come to you today and acknowledge that um, we've been horrified at what has taken place in South Carolina this past week. And uh, those people entered that room completely unaware that it, within a few moments they were going to be looking at you face to face. And we thank you, God, that they were there in a, in a position of prayer, in a position of study, and that you were graciously with them. Today, Lord, we would come and we would pray for their congregation. That congregation is gathering right now, and uh, there'll be lots of guests in the room. They have to gather without their pastor there, without uh, some of their key shepherds. And they need to know, Lord, how to proceed with that. We pray that the comfort of your Holy Spirit would kind of just wash over the entire place, wash over families that are grieving today. And um, we don't know them. We have no connection with them per se, apart from this tremendous fact that we are their brothers and sisters in Christ. So we... We join with them today, asking that you would gracefully cover them in Jesus' name. Amen. As part of our way of kind of standing with that congregation today, you'll notice in the lobby today, as you leave, there's a table set up. You can see there's a photo of it right there. And uh, if you, I've written a letter on your behalf that will go out to them early in the week. If you'd like to uh, be a signature of that letter, there's a place there where you can sign on, if you will. And we're going to send a check on your behalf, and we will see that it gets to them very quick. We have funds set aside for moments like this, and we'll take care of it in this coming week. So if you'd like to participate in that, by all means, sign the letter, and we'll take care of it for you, okay? All right, let's look at some scripture together today. And in order to do that, I want to start by asking you to take a look at uh, what is on the screen, uh, and it's still used today, is the, the flag of Scotland. It's a white flag with a blue-black background, and when you go to Scotland, you go see it flown a lot of times in, in, in conjunction with the Union Jack. That's because prior to 1603, Scotland was its own nation, and then in 1603, they joined with, with England, and they became the United Kingdom as, as Ireland joined them eventually as well, and they took the flag of Scotland, and they took the flag of, Great, of England which is a cross that looks like this, not an X, but a red cross um, on a white background. And that's the, known as St. George's Cross, 1606, when the two na nations became one nation and became the United Kingdom. You ever heard of that language to refer to Britain? The United Kingdom then took those two flags and married them together, St. George's Cross and the X of the Scottish Cross, and see, you can see how that worked out and became the Union Jack. You didn't come to church expecting to get a history on the United Kingdom today, but there it, had, there it is. In 1606, they put the two flags together, the blue background from the Scottish flag, a uh, little bit of the white background from the St. George's Cross, and there you have the flag that now flies over Great Britain. And it has a significant impact upon our congregation. And you're going, well, how's that, Wayne? Well, our church, the Christian church, uh, in a variety of different forms, sometimes known as Church of Christ, sometimes known as Church, uh, Christian Church Independent, sometimes known as Christian Church Disciples of Christ, took that Scottish, flat, that Scottish uh, X 
And we were disciples of Christ Church for many, many generations. We left in 2002, left that group over some very legitimate and real um, questions we had about biblical authority and so forth. It's probably tangential to today's discussion. But for many, many years, that white cross of Scotland was in our church's logo when, as part of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. And you say, well, why was that? Do you see the, the cross, that X there inside the chalice? That uh, used to be on everything that we put out for many, many years. And the reason that, was, that X was in that logo is because uh, the Christian church, whatever branch you have, including the one we're in right now, we, all of us came from the same roots in the 1800, early 1800s from a Scottish Presbyterian background. When the Presbyterians from Scotland arrived here in the U.S., they formed a group that said, we don't have to be Presbyterians, we're just going to be Christians, call ourselves the Christian Church, but they have kept on to, held on to those Scottish backgrounds. And so, thus, for many years, we had that Scottish flag and our logo. So you're going, Wayne, this is way, way too much. Tell me about Scripture. Okay, I'm going to do that. Because I want you to see how all this plays together. If you look in the Gospel of John, we're going to look and see what that Scottish flag might have to say about our present setting. John chapter 1 is where we're going to read. If you're unfamiliar with Scripture, John is one of the biographies of Jesus. It's the fourth one. It's this far through the Bible. You can find it in the pew rack in front of you or on your smartphone, however you want to look at it, okay? I'm assuming you're looking at Scripture, not playing solitaire, but there you go. Okay, John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is in reference to um, John the Baptist. And what we're going to see is really the passing of the torch from John being the leader of the ministry, if you will, that eventually became known as Christian, to um, the baton is being passed to Jesus. And John has some people who follow him. We're going to be introduced to one of them. His name is Andrew, okay? The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him say this, and when they heard that, they followed Jesus. So they said, Okay, it's been nice knowing you, John, but if that's the Messiah, we're going with him. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So Andrew is one of these guys who leaves John and starts hanging out with Jesus. And the first thing he did was to find his brother Simon Peter and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him, Peter, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, you'll be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So here we are, if I can give you a little bit of the setting of what's going on here. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, in the first few days of his ministry. And um, these guys discover, hey, that's the Messiah. And so they say to him, hey, where are you staying? Can we hang out with you? It's nice being with John, but he's a little bit crazy guy. You know, he only eats honey and, you know, and he wears skins made of animals and that sort of stuff. We'd rather kind of hang out with you. You're the Messiah after all. Can we do that? And so can we hang out with you? And they're attracted to him. And Andrew is one of these guys. And we really don't know a lot about Andrew, to be honest, from Scripture. 
This is one of the few places in Scripture that he's mentioned. He's kind of, in some ways, at first glance, if that was the case, you'd expect him to be a minor figure in, biblical, in the biblical story, but he is anything but minor. One of the first two guys who begins to follow Jesus, that's pretty significant. Perhaps what's most significant is that he had a brother by the name of Peter. And he runs off to Peter and he goes, hey, Peter, you need to know this. I've met the Messiah. I want to introduce you to him. And so Peter comes and, and, and Andrew goes, Peter, this is Jesus. Jesus, this is Andrew. And he introduced Peter to Jesus. That introduction changed your life today. That introduction changed your life today because it was Peter who, as one of the early disciples, followed Jesus along with Andrew for the next three and a half years, and they're trying to figure out how to do ministry. They're trying to be mentored by Jesus. They're trying to do, figure out how to do leadership. And Jesus is killed. He's died. He's buried. He, raises, he rises from the grave. He goes off to heaven. And the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, you know what happened? Peter tries out his first sermon. He takes a run at, you know, his first bull ride. And you know what happens? This dramatic moment, this most phenomenal thing happens. His first thing is he preaches. And 3,000 people say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ with you. And he became the de facto leader of the early church. And the question that is brought to mind right here in John chapter 1, knowing that story. That's why John brings this out. That it was Andrew who introduced Jesus to Peter and Peter to Andrew. Here's the question that's underlying there. What would have happened if Andrew had not introduced Peter to Jesus? We, the church would not have existed as we know it today. Peter would not have preached that first sermon, and thus the church would not have been born. Now, I understand it, but well, maybe somebody else, and fair enough, but in the way in which history is, it's because Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus that we are sitting in these pews today. Someone who was outside was brought in. For that matter, the same thing could be said of you and me, those of us who follow Jesus Christ. We are, were on the outside, set apart from God, set apart from Jesus Christ. We had sin in our lives, and yet somebody introduced us to Jesus Christ, and because of that, our lives have been changed forever. What if that introduction had not taken place on your part, whether it was through the church, through your family members, or through somebody at the office who said, hey, have you thought about being a follower of Jesus Christ? If that had not taken place, you would not be where you are today. Why am I telling you this? Well, last week, BJ and I sat at this very table, and in the message that we brought to you last week, we pointed out one of the most important things that followers of Jesus Christ have to do. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. And it goes basically like this. That Jesus, as he's leaving earth, says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And I've got really good news for you. Catch a hold of this. I've got really good news for you. You've got a task to go and make disciples, but I've got really good news. I'm going to be with you always, to the very end of everything that happens, to the very end of the age. And as BJ and I unpacked that for you last week, we spent a few minutes just looking at that word go and talked about how it is, um, how it is a command, this imperative that God gives us that we are to go and make disciples and we are to do it through as we go through life. That going is a consistent going. It's like if you want to be human, you have to breathe, right? If you stop breathing, you really stop existing. 
Usually that's the way it goes, usually, okay? And if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, that same going is in the same imperative there, that we are to continually make other disciples as we go, as we live, in whatever we do, in however we live. And I told you uh, that you would get a prompt to help you do that this week. And you see that prompt in your program today. That magnet where it says you're going to pray for two, you're going to invest in two, you're going to invite two. Or did you pull it out of your program there? Or maybe there's one in the pew rack in front of you and suddenly you're going, I get it. They're going to want me to be an evangelist. I'm not one of those guys. That's just not me. Well, I get it. I get it. Not everyone has the gift of evangelism, but we all have the responsibility of evangelism. And... Um, the reason for that is because of somebody invited us in. And if we are those who are, if you will, in the inner circle, we are, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have the responsibility then, Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. And we'll spend some more time next week looking at that word nations, how it means specific groups of identifiable people. And it's just not the people overseas, but you could say from a biblical point of view that the city of Decatur is one of those nations. And um, we have the responsibility to go. And we go because we've received grace. And we've received this. We, ha- we were separated from God. We were here. God was here. And there's this gap. And there's sin in the middle. And that sin is seen by God. God says, I don't touch sin. And yet Jesus comes and he, di- he dies. And his blood covers that sin. And thus we're in a relationship with God through grace. Not anything we did. And so... The process of us going from outside the circle to being brought in the circle through grace and then growing is that we are to be people who continually make disciples. And there are a variety of ways to do that. When I was a kid, um, when I was 13 or 14 years of age, the church that my family is part of um, announced that they were going to form a team of uh, young people who through the summer were going to go door-to-door and do door-to-door evangelism in some of the smaller towns up in the interior portions of British Columbia. You know, logging towns and that sort of thing. And so they were maybe 1,500 people would live in these towns. And so we would go into these, and my parents signed me up. So off I went. So, so I, I'm, part, I'm now an evangelist apparently. And so we would go to these little towns and uh, we'd have a clipboard and a, a, a fledgling church uh, would sponsor us there in town and we'd sleep in sleeping bags on the floor and that sort of thing. And then during the day, we'd go door to door doing witnessing. And um, this was in the olden days, in the 70s. And um, for those of you, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it, it was different back then. We, ha- we had just got electricity prior to that, just a little while before that. And um, so we'd go door to door and um, we had a clipboard and we had a list of questions that we were supposed to ask people. Hi, I'm so-and-so from, and we'd name the church we were, was sponsoring us. And I've got a, we're doing a religious survey. And we'd, we wouldn't ask people their name or anything like this. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? And we'd kind of go down a list. And the goal was to move people all the way through this page of questions to the point where we'd say, would you like to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And the honest truth is some people did. Not very many, but people did. Right? We do, I was on the road there. It was my first road trip at about seven, eight weeks that summer. Different city, different town, town, village every few, every few days. And Here's what it was like, though. If somebody gave their life to Jesus, it was cause for celebration back at the church. And it was like, I need to tell you, it was almost like another notch in the belt, and it wasn't in a good way. 
Because you'd come back and say, I led someone to Jesus. And somebody would say, oh, I'm terrible. I didn't do it at all. I'm such a shameful Christian. And, and I, I don't know how effective it was. Yeah, we might have prayed at the door with some people. But there wasn't any consistent follow-through on the part of the churches to bring those people in. And I have a feeling that we almost, I wonder if we did more damage than we did good. Because I don't know the, I don't know the long-term effects of that. People don't appreciate just being led to a prayer and saying, well, I'm, it's all covered now. No, if we're on a journey with Jesus Christ, we need to invite people into a journey with us in, in, in coming after Christ. Yes, we do want them to have that moment where they say, I've gone from a non-believer to a believer. Fair enough. But people are interested in faith. Yes, we know that. I mean, if you look at the, the research that's out there regarding what people look at on the internet, pornography is number one. The second question, from what we understand is, they want to ask questions about faith in God. So they're out there looking for questions, but they're not looking for door-to-door evangelists to answer that. They're looking for friends and people they trust inside relationships of relevancy where they can learn and say, I want, I want to have an authentic relationship with, with an authentic person who will answer my questions. Why is that? Because people reach people. And that's what God calls us to do. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And you do it differently in each culture. In our culture these days, here in North America, it's done within the context of relationships, which people, are, some of you are going, okay, enough, Wayne, what about the Scottish flag? How's that relate? Well, I promise you, I'm going to get back to right there, how this all plays out. Because it's all right here in John chapter 1. You just got to dig for it. And maybe I could do it this way. Let me ask you this question. Why do you exist on the planet? What's the reason for your existence? The Westminster Catechism says that we exist as human beings in order to worship God and to enjoy God forever. And so if you follow Jesus Christ today, then you are following that understanding that you are to worship God, you're to enjoy God forever, and you're working at that. And then you go, okay, what, after, what happens after that? Well, one of the ways in which you worship, one of the ways in which you enjoy God is you do what, Je- what Jesus said. Jesus said, go and make disciples. He didn't say do it now and then. He said, go and make disciples. Reproduce. Multiply. Every living creature is given the responsibility to reproduce or else it ceases to exist. It's certainly the case for human beings, isn't it? We were given something called sexual drive to, to cause us to have babies. Yes, sexual drive is for pleasure and intimacy and vulnerability. Fair enough. But that pleasure and that sexual drive, that intimacy was placed in God, by God within us for this reason. To make you want to make babies. That's right there. Straight up. All the other things that come along with sexuality are really cool. But in the long run, for most people, it's a case that God wanted you to make babies. And it's the same for Jesus' followers. We're supposed to reproduce. <laughs> but why is it that making babies seems a whole lot easier than reproducing Christians? Has anybody ever noticed that? <laughs> I mean, we say, well, I don't have the tools or the abilities to do that. I've got the tools to make babies, but I don't have the, this other stuff. I don't know. Well, and then we say, oh, I've never done it before. I've never, never reproduced my Christian. I've never done it before. Now, if, just think about that when it comes back to sexuality, if I, if I may, for just a moment, just to be really blunt. Think of what would happen if there was a couple that got married here on a Saturday afternoon and they're walking out of the church 
And they said, we've never done it before. And so because we've never done it before, we're not going to do it today. Nor tomorrow or the next day. One of us would go to that couple and say, go do it. You'll figure it out. (laughs) Go try it. See what happens. Who knows? You might like it. Isn't that the case? Wouldn't that be the case? And here's, because here's what my understanding is. As their pastor, I've seen that most people do like it. (laughs) To the point where they figure out the details and at some point children arrive and we end up spending a million dollars rebuilding our nursery. (laughs) Isn't that what happens? And so if you haven't been in the nursery today, we just spent a million dollars over there for all of you because you figured out how to do it. (laughs) Some go, oh, this is really uncomfortable. Well, why? Jesus says, go make disciples. In the book of Genesis, God says, go and multiply. And we do that. Why is it that we're so, the disciple making thing is so weird. I get it. So did Jesus. As a matter of fact, he must have had some discussions along this line with his disciples in Mark chapter 6. There's a passage of scripture where he's got these guys and he sends them out. Read it with me. Look here on the screen. Jesus went around teaching from village to village and calling his disciples. He sent them out. I mean, this is before he's dead or anything, before he's risen from the dead. He's already saying, you're going to go out and you're going to multiply. He sends them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. He said, take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place. Shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Go out. Tell people about who I am. Preach repentance. Tell people about the good news. And so they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. (laughs) I think these guys are like you and me. They're trying to figure it out. If you know the story of Mark, they really didn't want to go. They wanted to hang with Jesus. Just be with, we just want to be with you. But Jesus sent them. Donald English, a biblical commentator, says it's difficult to exaggerate the risk Jesus took in sending his disciples out to teach and heal. The impression of them created by Mark so far, this is up to Mark chapter 6, that impression falls well short of complementary. They didn't understand his teaching. They don't trust his will or power to protect him. They're not sensitive to his extraordinary perception, yet they are sent out. We don't want to go, Jesus. Don't make us do that. Can't we just hang with you? No, he sent them out, albeit in Paris, to teach, heal, and exercise. They must risk themselves in dependence on the gospel and the power that accompanies it. You'd say, well, yeah, they may have taken some risks, but they had Jesus teaching them. They were there with Jesus. But what did Jesus say? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, he says, surely I'll be with you to the end of the age. These disciples didn't have anything that we don't have. As a matter of fact, we have the work of the Holy Spirit within us reaching into our lives every day. We don't have to be close up against Jesus' physical body to be taught. 
I would tell you this as your pastor, one of the concerns I have is how can I help you be motivated to see the way in which we live and the way in which we use our words that they can be used in the right, right way by God in order for others to at least ask questions about our faith. Can we live that boldly? Paul the Apostle told the Philippians to do that. He said, in everything you do, in everything, in it, however, you can, however you live your life, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, it's not just, not just the door-to-door moment, but it's how you live your life when you're across the office floor, when you're across the factory floor, when you're standing across the neighbor's fence. How are you living your life there so that people would say, man, what is it with that person that I would, I'd like to know what's up with them? And then you, we have the words to come behind it. See, I, I would suggest that if I'm given the responsibility as one of the pastors to equip you in the ways in which you should grow up in Jesus Christ, I need to, in, I need to insist that you pray for people who are not following Jesus Christ as believers yet. I need to insist that you invest your lives in them. And I need to insist that you invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Not because I say so, but because I'm convinced it's the word of God in our lives. We invite people into a dialogue about matters of faith between them and God. And sometimes we don't even get to be in the dialogue. I get that. But I know that if we live our lives in the right way and the questions are there in their heads, God will get involved in that dialogue with them because you've lived a life that points other people to Jesus Christ. You know, I go back to those times as a teenager and we'd come back to the church and we'd hear someone say, I want someone to Jesus Christ. And we think to ourselves, I can't do that. I think, I think we have this understanding that we have to be a green beret for Jesus in order to live our lives for him. I'm Christian ninja. <laughs> and I can make it happen. You know what I mean? we assume we've got to have all the answers before we can say anything, before we can live our lives the right way. I like the fact that you're still figuring it out. I like the fact that I'm still figuring it out because as I'm figuring it out, people can see that I'm figuring out life, that I'm figuring out my walk with Christ and I'm suddenly not perfect in their eyes. I'm living life with them and inviting them to live life with me as we follow Jesus Christ. I'm on a journey of faith and I'm inviting others into that journey. It's God who changes lives, not us. He's responsible for changing people. We are responsible for inviting people to explore God. People can choose to do what they want with the invitation themselves. I mean, that's the point of free will. But we can continue to pray, continue to invest, continue to invite. And I don't have to be a Green Beret. I think it's like this, that we, we so often see people that we know and we say, man, if this is the space right, this line right here is where somebody comes to know Christ, and we look at their lives and they're way over here, and we go, I'm never going to get them over there. And if I could, I'd celebrate. And then we'd have a win. But you know what, friends? If they're back here and I simply pray for them, that's a win. If I can simply invest in my, my life in theirs, that's a win. If I can live a life so that they're willing to ask me questions, that's a win. Whether or not they cross the line of faith, yeah, I want to see that happen, yes. But every time that we move a little closer, 
we're making progress. One step closer to Jesus. And I'll leave it between them and God as to whether or not they're going to cross that line of faith. But I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep investing. I'm going to keep inviting. And each of those acts in and of themselves are great wins. How does that apply to you? Well, as you know, our congregation has said that we're going to reach 10% of our community in the next 10 years. But I don't want that to be the church's, that can't be the church's program. Instead, this is our movement to see our city change, but it's, got to only, it's only going to work if that movement becomes part of your personal mission. And so you can't just say, well, I'm going to lean into the church and they're going to do 10. No, we're going to do 10, and we're going to do all we can to provide you with the resources that you need. For example, the event that's coming this Wednesday night in Nelson Park, 6 o'clock, fun night in the park. Come check it out. That's the first resource that you could step into or lean into. The other one is you could, this, this coming um, in August, we're going to do a very intentional and very intense look at the book of Romans uh, in the sermons, looking at why we believe, how we came to believe, and what happens as a result of belief, so that you have a better theological understanding of that and can get your arms around that. And then something very cool is happening right after Labor Day. We are aware that in our community, there are people who, have, who are far from God, who have legitimate questions about the things of God. Is the Bible real? Can the Bible be trusted? Is it our most highest authority? Is it, what about Jesus when he said that I'm the only way of salvation? Or if God is so good, why do bad things happen? People you know have those questions. You have those questions, right? So we've put together um, a, a sermon series called Room for Doubt, and uh, we approached other churches in the city and said, would you like us to work with you and let's, let's do this citywide? If we're going to reach the city, if we're going to reach 10% of the people who don't know Christ in the next few years, we're going to need other help besides First Christian. And said, so can, would you like to join us? We have 20 churches in the city that said, let's do Room for Doubt together. And so, um, we're, and the, the idea is to give you resources. And so in, throughout the month of July, I'd ask for your prayers because I'm responsible to really get those sermons under, under my belt and share them with the other churches. And Pastor Jonathan is writing small group material. And we're, we're looking together to put even small groups together made up completely of unbelievers except maybe the leader. And that we're doing this church community-wide, and it's going to last for six weeks. It's really cool. It starts the week after Labor Day. You're going to see yard signs and all sorts of stuff as all the churches pool our resources to impact this community for the sake of Jesus Christ. And by God's grace, it came our way and we're able to help these churches make it happen. And so we're putting all our communication efforts into their churches and helping them out and so forth and so on. And really, it is so that you'll have some tools again so that we're going to raise the level of questions in the community and you can come behind and say, well, I've got a little bit of that figured out. Or I don't have it figured out, but tell me what questions you have. And you go, well, okay, Wayne, all right. I want to be like Andrew. I'm going to bring someone to know Jesus. And I'll, tr I'll try. Help me out. And we'll do that. And so, okay, but what's it got to do with Scotland? That X. <laughs> okay. Well, that X is reference to... Um, it's not just the flag of Scotland, but that's called the Scottish cross and the cross of St. Andrews. Because here's what we know about Andrew, this little bit coming out of the Gospel of John where he brought Peter to know Jesus. And then he kind of disappears from the biblical record for the most part. Not a lot of stories about him. But we do know that he introduced Peter to Jesus. And then after Jesus went to heaven, what we understand is that 
Andrew left Jerusalem and he traveled around the Mediterranean as an itinerant missionary, introducing all kinds of people to Jesus Christ. We, they think he may have even gone as far as southern Russia. And um, eventually, all that work, if you will, caught up with him and he was crucified for his faith. And when it came to the time of his crucifixion, he said, I don't want to be crucified on the same sort of cross as Jesus did. I don't feel worthy for that. And so they arranged for him to be crucified on a cross that was in the shape of an X. That photo you see there is from the main basilica in the Vatican. And um, it's a marble statue depicting him just before he was put on the cross. And he died that way. And he died saying... I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And though none go with me, still I will follow. Though the world is against me, still the cross is before me, the cross of Jesus Christ. And so for us as a congregation, when we had that in our logo all those years, you know what we were saying? We will follow Jesus even if it takes us to the cross. Though none go with me, still I will follow. The world behind me, the cross before me. We will be Andrews. As hard as it is and regardless of the cost, we will be Andrews who say, we will introduce people to Jesus Christ. And I'm scared beyond what that means for me to say that. I know that's what many people are saying. I get it. So, let's be like the guys in Mark 6 and say, I'll take a run at it. I haven't got it figured out. Fair enough. We're going to help you do that, okay? In your bulletin again today. There was something like this. Did you see it? There's some in the pew racks as well. And we'd suggest that in the coming days, we need to be people who would invest our lives into two people. If we're going to reach 10% of the community, we've got to start somewhere as individuals. Could we invest our lives in two people? And so we're inviting you to take this home. Don't pitch it, please, okay? Don't pitch it. Take it home. Write some names on it. Who, would you, who do you know who is far from God? You'd like to see them come to a relationship with God. Do you know somebody like that? Surely you do. If you don't, you're hanging out with Christians way too much. Seriously. You can't go if you only hang with the in crowd. Get what I mean? We're in. Jesus said, leave the in people and go out there. Where could you go where you, don't, where you would say, I, know, I would get to meet some people who don't know Jesus. So I would like to pray with you about that right now. Let's pray, okay? God, I know the two names that I'm going to write on this magnet. I'm going to put down our refrigerator, God. And I, it concerns me. Uh, I don't want to invest in their lives just like for a payoff and a notch in a belt. Mm -mm. These two people, I'd like them to know Jesus. And with the influence that they have for them to know, introduce two more and two more. And God, Give me wisdom in that. And Lord, I pray you'd give all of us wisdom in that regard. Help us to be uh, people who are adventuresome for you. I think of those guys that went in village to village and they didn't even take an extra shirt. <laughs> I'm glad for the days of washing machines, God, and the way in which we live our lives compared to that. We ask God that you'd help us to invest our lives in other people. We want to we prayerfully bring them to you right now and ask that you would graciously, even now, begin the process of calling them to you. We'll let them decide. 
but we'll live our lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. We'll choose our words in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we'll do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Inviting you to stand together, please, this morning. And maybe you've got two people in mind that you'd say, I'd really like some extra prayer with someone about that right now. If so, some of our leaders will be here. We'd love to pray with you about those people. Perhaps you're here today and say, I'm one of the ones who's on the outside. I'm not in. I want to get in. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus and say, hey, Mary, this is Jesus. Jesus, this is Mary. Or Joe, this is Jesus. Jesus, this is Joe. And get that started. If you have other areas in your life that you need some prayer about or some areas of celebration, there will be a bunch of us here who would like to have prayer with you. The focus of the congregation is going to be in this prayerful attitude of, Lord, take who we are, our great points and our quirks. Use them for you, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. You sing, you come, let's worship together.